This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to the Buckets and Tea NBA show. I'm your host, Catherine Niker. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Today, joining me, he works for Sportsnet. He works for Yahoo Sports Canada. He used to work for the Raptors. Ooh, uh, but he's amazing. You know him. You love him. It's Vivek Jacob. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. I'm glad to be here and, uh, you know, we'll see how I survive having woken up at 4 30 a.m yes let's let's talk about this so you've been covering cricket actually um so you've been watching these like epic long cricket matches there's a there's a tournament happening right now uh you started a sub stack about it tell us about it yeah so i've got a sub stack call play in the v and you can uh find all the details on my twitter page at viveka m jacob so you, you can if you're a cricket fan and are looking for looking to not watch all eight hours of these games and just have a nice little summary of everything that's happening, you can just uh, tune into my Substack and subscribe and get it all in your email. Uh, but yeah, I have been waking up at 4.30 a.m. The tournament started, um, I want to say, about three weeks ago. And so I feel like my body has like slowly adjusted. There, there definitely was... A, like after the first week, my body was just like, no, this is not happening. <laughs> and Waking up crashed. at like 4.30 every day? Yeah. So wake up by 4.30 and then um, staying up. Usually the games uh, go up till about 11 or 12. And then um, I'll finish up my writing and then eat lunch and then crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, today... The plan was uh, so today actually worked out pretty well because India was like so dominant that the game finished at like 10. Okay, because we would be recording this during your nap time. Yes. Otherwise on Thursday. So I have napped. (laughs) I was kind of hoping to get this like delirious version of you, like just this. But it was only for an hour. Okay. Okay. So I got an hour nap in, so. I think that might suffice for this pod. And then I will go right back to sleep as soon as we're done. Oh my God. And then you're covering the the basketball games at night. Accurate. So you're, you, I mean, you might as well just be nocturnal at this point. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's uh, yeah. Maybe I can uh, work some security shifts too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, not, I mean, not, I feel not to rat anyone out, but I know, uh, I know a couple um security people at my condo who are indian and they're just like yeah when we work the night shift we've just got the games on so <laughs> well at least know, they've got company now as I, I, honestly at least they're awake <laughs> at least they're awake and alert because i don't know if i could do that to be honest yeah especially 100%. you know one through four thirty a.m right what are you gonna do yeah. like yeah. when the west coast nba games are done 
and the cricket hasn't started yet. That's mm. a real trying time. Yeah, it's got to be. I, I could make some jokes, but uh, it's a PG show, I think. So I'll I don't know. <laughs> I'm actually unsure. No one gave me those kinds of guidelines. But oh. in any case, um, <laughs> check out check out Vivek's Substack. You know, let his sacrifice be worth it. Just start watching Please. cricket. Just just for Vivek. Just yeah. You know I mean? Just start. Like, just start because you have a local person covering it for you watching those eight hours so you don't have to um it's very uh it's very kind of you also um for those watching on youtube i was commenting about how much larger my head looks versus yours because of our setup so i don't know how that's gonna work but you know it is what it is just, the, just lead <laughs> we'll do that just, just for the, do the rest of the show like this <laughs> Just so I could feel better. Yeah, this show really is about my emotional labor. Um, but no, let's uh, let's get into this. We've had a crazy week in the NBA. Once again, the James Harden trade happened. He went to the Clippers officially. You know, like last week I was on the pod here with Katie, and we were talking about how like Philly just like has to do something. They can't drag this on like the way the Ben Simmons thing dragged on before and. They were able to get a deal to, to happen. So the Clippers acquire James Harden as well as PJ Tucker. Uh, and and then who's this guy? Philippe Petruza? I don't know. Well, I don't the, know. The funny, the funny part is um, Philip Petrusev has already been traded. Since, Again? <laughs> since going to his new team. <laughs> Where is he now? Uh, he has been traded to the Sacramento Kings. Wow, you're really on top of it. Uh, and the Sixers <laughs> uh, required a 2028 unprotected first round pick, uh, as well a 2029 first round pick swap rights with Clippers protected. What does this mean, Vivek? You wrote the swap this. rights. Yeah. So basically, in 2029, say for example, if the uh, if the Clippers are in bad shape. And they just happen to have the fifth pick, and the Sixers have like the fifteenth pick. The they Sixers can swap it. Can swap. Wow. And okay. Be like, we That's have the pretty fifth big pick now. <laughs> uh, and then as well as a twenty twenty six pick uh, via OKC, which is from the Westbrook. Uh, no, sorry, from the Paul George trade, I believe. And then they also acquired Nicholas Batum, Robert Covington, Marcus Morris, uh, KJ Martin, uh, and then a 2024 second round pick. Uh, and then they had to waive Danny Green. Uh, so what I the way I see this trade is I feel like the 76ers aren't done. You know, I think they did this so they could have other assets in which to move before the trade deadline. Not to say that they're actively shopping for anyone right now. I think they want to see how this team plays over the next like six weeks or so. And then somewhere like late December, early January, they'll start shopping these picks around. Cause I don't, you know, they're not going to like hold on to this and be patient and waste another year of uh, Embiid's prime. So I actually think it, this was a really good deal um, from the 76ers perspective. We just have to wait and see who these picks end up becoming. And then on the Clippers side of things, you know, I think this whole situation is kind of funny because I don't think anyone else was particularly in the market for James Harden. 
You know, I think if you were the 76ers, or sorry, if you were the Clippers, you could have held out um, to get James Harden for less, I would imagine. I don't think there was any real competition for him. Um, I think they have too many ball handlers or too many players that like need the ball in their hands all the time now. So I'm curious to see how that's going to fit from like a chemistry perspective. And even if they do become a bit better, I don't think they became good enough to beat the Nuggets. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see this team beating the Nuggets in a seven-game series. So, uh, you know, it's hard to say right now, but it feels like this might not have been worth it in the long run. But, Vivek, what do you think? So, th there's so many different sides to this trade. So, for example, from the Philly perspective, uh, the wait and see will go on until the offseason because what they've also mm -hmm. done with this trade is create about 50 million potentially more in cap space and so they can go get like a max free agent the free agent class is not amazing but there is possibly someone like a pascal siakam mm -hmm. who could be there and so uh you mentioned the picks that they could potentially use in another another deal between now and uh mid-feb but before the trade deadline that could certainly be the case, and they could look to get a good player, uh, maybe an all-star type player. You think uh, uh, Pascal wants to play with Nick Nurse again? I mean, <laughs> made, made two all-NBA teams with him. Yeah, that's true. I don't know how yeah. much they get along, but yeah, that would be very interesting. And so I, I think, uh, you know, and also the chance to play with uh, his Cameroonian brother, I think, yes. quite appealed to him. Yes. So, uh, I think the wait and see with Philly will carry over until the off season. That's part of why they also didn't sign Tyrese Maxey to an extension this past summer because they wanted to keep that flexibility. Uh, and so uh, Philly is definitely in wait and see mode. The Clippers, I think to me, uh, and I wrote this in a piece for Sportsnet breaking down the trade from a Clippers perspective, is they are they have basically recommitted to the regular season and right. they have said, you know, we already had the Ty Luke quote about, Hey, we got to take the regular season more seriously. And we can't just kind of wait and wait until the playoffs because what happens is for example, last season, they had to go on an 11 to five, 11 win five loss record uh, to avoid the play in tournament mm -hmm. in those final 16 games. The previous season, the injuries were too much. They didn't even make the playoffs. And so they have said, hey, we need to sort stuff out in the regular season. They even with this James Harden trade, they probably didn't want to wait until the trade deadline to only give themselves a couple months to figure it out. And mm -hmm. so now they've got pretty much a whole season to figure this out. And so uh, with James Harden, you are make making a 1,000% regular season bet. He is a regular season killer. <laughs> he will get this team um, to at least 50 wins. Kawhi can say, hey, I need a night off. No problem. James Harden, take all the shots you want. Paul George needs a night off. No problem. And so I think that's the bet that they've made where it's like, and this is basically what I said. James Harden could be the best load manager Kawhi has had since Alex McKechnie. And so <laughs> if you can take that to the playoffs, and you get Kawhi there safe and healthy, that's when you could 
get the payoff, right? And and that's what this is all about. To me, having seen Kawhi up close, if he is healthy in the postseason, all bets, bets are off. Right. He can beat any team in the postseason. And I think they just have to get there. They just have to get him in as best shape as possible. And you look at Paul George and Kawhi defensively, obviously that's a beast. Now you throw PJ Tucker into the mix as well defensively. And if he's arguably defending the third best wing now, as opposed to, you know, situations in Milwaukee or wherever where he had to defend and Philly where he had to defend the opposing team's best player. You're looking at arguably the best defensive wing trio in the league. And then there's the offense. (laughs) Yeah, I think P.J. Tucker is kind of like an underrated, like really good part of this deal for the Clippers. I think that's a great point. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right about James Harden being it for the regular season. I am so curious, though, like in the playoffs with this, like I'm assuming a Harden Westbrook backcourt which we kind of saw with the 2020 Houston Rockets, I believe. I mean, I don't know how this is going to turn out. They, they've been together now. This is their third time on a, on a team together, Westbrook and Harden. Also, too, like they grew up together in L.A. I feel like they have such a wild history with one another. I feel like it's mainly love, but maybe a little bit something else. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know how they're going to run this offense you know, to get Kawhi the ball and, and all of this, if they're so used to just jacking up shots on their own all season long. To me, at some point, Westbrook has to commit to coming off the bench. Right. It's, you think he's going to be a six man. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be hard. And obviously you don't give up all those assets and pay mm-hmm. him the kind of money that you're paying him to come off the bench. Uh, Westbrook obviously took a, a significant pay cut to come back to the Clippers um he's happy there uh how happy will he be if he's coming off the bench who knows but i think Mm -hmm. that's the move that needs to happen because for all that i said about pj tucker and Kawhi and p and uh paul george (laughs) i said pj and i was like did i say pg already (laughs) um as good as those three can be defensively it can be completely negated by having Harden and Westbrook together in the backcourt. And so I think that's where the starting lineup needs to be. Harden, Kawhi, PG, Tucker, uh, and uh, Zubac. Right. I, I laughed again because I said PG and then I said Tucker and it's just messing with me. <laughs> yeah. but we know what you meant. We know what you meant. Um, yeah, I agree. I think a lot uh, ne- will, um, a lot still needs to unfold is what I'm trying to say. I think a lot yeah. still needs to unfold here. There's a lot unsettled, I think, with both teams. I'm so curious to see how this Clippers team is going to adjust. Uh, I love your point about them taking the regular season more seriously. I mean, we saw that in that overtime game uh, last night against the Lakers, you know, like it's been a long time. I think they hadn't played a back-to-back in like several years. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about the amount of minutes that they were playing in this OT game and like, is this sustainable and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think, you know, the Clippers are really looking at this year as like, it has to happen this year. It's now or never. Yeah. Yeah. It's now or never for them. And so, you know, at least we, it's nice to see them pushing it. Um, so we'll see how it, we'll see how it turns out. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, sorry, I didn't know if you were going to add more to there. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to the in-season tournament. Uh, this episode's going to come out on Friday, and the in-season tournament will be starting on Friday. Uh, what do you make of this whole plan from the NBA? Um, do you think it's going to work? Do you think we're going to get more competitive basketball as a result? Do you think it'll uh, equal to a ratings increase? What do you think? I think on the whole... It will have more appeal if it becomes a predictor of playoff success. Because mm -mm. then you'll have fans looking at it saying, oh, oh, like say, for example, if there was a play-in tournament last year and the Nuggets won it and then they go on to win the title, then you're saying, oh, okay, there's some kind of correlation possibly, you know? And, and you're saying, okay, teams are taking this seriously. The best team that's coming out of this, they, they should be the favorites, you know? But if you come out of this and it just be, it ends up being like a fun little gimmicky thing and, um, you know, with all due respect, like say uh, the Orlando Magic win it and <laughs> they don't end up making the playoffs, then you're kind of looking at it and saying, well, what does this really tell me, you know? Uh, and so I think that's, going to be the interesting thing to see like if if you see the top teams really take it seriously really compete and that ends up being you know the semifinals and the final uh then i think it's cool uh but hey the, there are people who would argue the other the other way as well right like people would say hey give me the march madness give me the 16 seed <laughs> that goes all the way uh, and then that can be fun on its own uh what do you think yeah, I mean, that's super interesting. Like, I think uh, there's a whole sports betting component to this uh, as well that I think will maybe increase bets. I don't really sports bet, so I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, I think like if let's yeah, let's use your example of Orlando. I mean, if Orlando won the end season tournament, that would be big for their market locally. And then maybe people watch more Orlando games as a result. Cause you're right. Like if the nut, if this existed last year and the nuggets won, we probably would have seen more nuggets games as a result as well. Cause people would have been more curious to see them more. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think in terms of predicting that's going to help the sports betting market. I don't know if it helps me as a fan in terms of watching more games because it's like, well, I'm a sicko and I'm already watching a bunch of games. But you know what I mean? Like I'm <laughs> I'm already here. I don't need it. Like I don't yeah. know if casual fans are looking at this like, hey, I need to see this in-season tournament. Maybe those last few days in Vegas will really feel like an event that people will have to tune into. I feel like the month of November, like, you know, we'll see if like the new court design gives the whole game a new feel or not, or gives it more intensity or not. I mean, maybe, maybe it will. Cause I'm not sure. Like, I feel like the incentive of like the players winning like $500,000 or whatever it is. I don't know if that alone is motivation, I think yeah. it's more like, do we take this tournament seriously or not? And yeah. we'll see that, I guess, later. Well, when this episode airs, it'll be later tonight. Right. And and that's where I think the NBA has done a good thing of just combining the in-season tournament within the, the regular season games, right? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I think the worst thing would have been a scenario where you have separate group games that are happening outside of the regular season and then say you know, the Clippers or whoever, just like, hey, we're actually just going to load manage Kawhi for these group games. Right. You know, yeah, then no, it's like, oh, yeah. 
no one cares, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I think putting it within these regular season games and just making the regular season games count for a bit more um, it was an important decision. And I think that's a good move. I think what's going to be a bit weird when watching these games is it's not actually goodbye, you know, when they get knocked out. Right. Like, it's like, I'll see you again in like, like February you, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you've got all these uh, college fans watching their team in the tournament or whatever, that final game, you, you know, like w when you get knocked out, it's over. Like there's that sadness and everything. Uh, and that's part of the intensity during the game. Right. And so with uh, the in-season tournament, these fans are going to be watching these games and then it could be like a group decider. Oh, we get we get we get to the semis if we win this one or we're out and that excitement might be there. But then by the end of the game, it's also like, OK, we'll see you Friday night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Like the emotional stakes from a fan perspective aren't necessarily there. I mean, I think I, I for me, I wish that like the grand prize also included something like guaranteed home court advantage in the playoffs or something like that. I think that would get me more emotionally invested as a fan into it. Cause then it's like, Oh man, we really want that. You know, like that's good for us. You know, when we, when we socialize sports like that, Oh, that would be so good for us, yeah. you know, but I'm not getting a piece of this coin. So for me, that's kind of whatever. So, yeah, I wish they had an element like that into it. But regardless of that, I definitely think it's going to keep November more interesting for sure. Curious mm -hmm. to see what these wild uh, court designs look like on TV. Because it's so, <laughs> you know, it's one thing to see like a tiny image of it like online. And it's another thing to see it like on broadcast TV. So, I, I mean, some of these courts are going to look really wild. I kind of like that the NBA was very like, we want you to know you're at a different game. Yes, 100%. Um, so from a branding perspective, I think that's super smart. Um, have you had a chance to look at these court designs, Vivek? I have. What, um, what, what do you like? What do you like? So I'm I like... throwing this at you. No, so in general, I, I like that it's just like very different and very unique. I think I almost would have gone all... Uh, like vintage like let's bring back the old courts mm. let's bring back the old uniforms yeah and done like a more like nostalgia night yeah yeah and that would be really and, fun so that was one of the things i was thinking about that that would have been cool to do uh and so in terms of takes on the actual court uh, i have not actually um been that invested <laughs> and so i'll leave i'll leave the court takes to you and wow. i'll just run with your judgment don't run with my judgment you can have your own opinions but i understand if you're just like i'm not a design guy i'm not into the aesthetics like i don't I'll, care. I'll, how about this i'm I'll, Vivek I'll jacob and i take myself very seriously Catherine. i don't get into this little petty <laughs> bs um no, i actually no, no, said i i really like the raptors court i actually like the gold um on the raptors court i'm really looking forward to seeing what that looks like there are some courts that i think are a bit puzzling like um i don't know if you've seen indiana or if you've seen uh the pelicans i'm pulling them court. up now yeah and 
so the one thing I do have to say is the Celtics need to get away from this whole like Milwaukee Bucks tone. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It does look it like was, the Bucks. I agree. It, it was. I think they were their Christmas uniforms last season. That I was like, am I watching the Bucks? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, um, I and- noticed that with uh, the Denver Nuggets court looks like the Golden State Warriors colors. Like they're getting a little too. Yeah, yeah. I like the Wolves. Um, I like I like the Jazz going with the full purple. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the ones I like. Um, I'm not quite sure why Atlanta is blue. Yeah, I don't know why Atlanta is blue. Yeah, so um see look Detroit, you, you're funky. having opinions. Yeah, no, I just needed to pull it up. <laughs> I, I, I just meant that I hadn't looked at it as closely to provide an informed opinion. I, I was yeah. just kinda of, when they came out, I was kinda of like, Hey, what does the Raptors court look like? Okay, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair, that's fair. I'm always paying attention to the whole league. Um but, you know, now that now that I'm seeing more of it. Um, I kind of wish uh, that they did more around the three-point arc. Like it, it's all very like that that entire vertical going across the paint, like through the middle. Mm. Like that's like the consistent theme, right? And and so that is something I wouldn't have minded seeing more of. And uh, I I hope the outer court is actually a different color because that's the one thing i hate because it makes life for the officials so much more difficult uh like those those courts that like the baseline like the inside is exactly the same color as what's just outside to make a call and you know those out of bounds plays and so i i just hope those are different colors yeah i think it'll look a bit more defined um irl than it does in these pictures but um <laughs> otherwise that would be uh, quite the chaos uh let's talk about okay early season nba reactions who do you think is looking great so far and who are you low-key worried about non-raptors we'll get into raptors in a sec well i think you got to start with the nuggets i think they look great um i think the way that they've kind of pivoted because everyone was kind of like hey what's gonna happen with bruce brown gone what's gonna Mm -hmm. happen with jeff green gone and they're just like hey we've got some young pieces that we're gonna give more playing time to and you know guys like peyton watson julian strother uh they're getting an opportunity and obviously we saw christian braun uh kind of shine in moments last year and he's getting more of an opportunity and so i think they've got the young pieces to step in and fill that void so i think they look great uh the celtics obviously look amazing to start the season and so uh they've definitely got it uh, a, a lot more together than the bucks uh, at this point um i wouldn't say i'm like worried about the bucks at this point but you know, as soon as the trade happened, it was like, hey, what's the defense going to look like, right? And I think for everything that Drew Holiday brings on that end of the floor, uh, Damian Lillard is obviously lacking. Uh, and they've lost Grayson Allen. They've, uh, you know, Chris Middleton, after dealing with the injuries, what does he have left defensively? And you've got a first-year head coach in Adrian Griffin. So I am a little concerned about the defense. We'll see how that plays out. 
Uh, and then it's it's definitely weird to see the Grizzlies already 0-5. Yeah. Right? Like, that's probably the big one that no one really saw coming. Yeah, my pick is is also the Grizzlies, the one that I'm the most worried about. I mean, they haven't won a game yet this season. Um, they're, you know, I mean, John Morant's going to come back after 25 games, but... You know, they, you know, unfortunately had their injury to Steven Adams, who's out for the year as well. And they're just like, they're just lacking bodies right now. And I, uh, I don't know if this team is going to be able to emerge as a playoff team this year. They might be, they might be fully in the lottery. And I think for them, that's obviously a huge setback um, compared to where we saw them in the spring. So that's definitely the team I'm most worried about in the Eastern conference. Uh, the Miami heat are, uh, are one and four and they've lost their last four games. And I know everybody's always like, you know, heat we culture. don't heat culture. <laughs> la, la, la. Like, you know, it's all that matters is what happens in the playoffs. And we don't care about the regular season and all of this. And like, I feel like that's a dangerous line to walk on. I mean, obviously we saw what they were able to do in the playoffs last year, but I feel like, you know, it's kind of like what we were saying about the Clippers earlier. It's like when you really don't take the regular season seriously, it becomes harder to regroup for the playoffs. And, you know, it's possible that last year's finals run kind of gave this team a false sense of like, we can do whatever and we'll be fine and we'll be there. And it's like, that's like what they did last year was incredible, but I wouldn't call it sustainable. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And I think, you know, obviously you, injuries can happen with any playoff run, but they did get a bit fortunate in the Buck situation with Giannis getting hurt. Yeah. Right? And and Obviously, there were some extenuating circumstances that we learned later about Coach Bud as well, dealing mm-hmm. with the, the loss of his brother. And so uh, I think there was just a lot going on for the Bucks that kind of contributed to that upset. And then I think things worked out in terms of getting the Knicks in the next round, right? And so that was a favorable matchup. They obviously did really well. Uh, to get past the Celtics that there's nothing you can really take away from that. Uh, And so uh, I do think that, you know, on the one side, they made the finals, but at the end of the day, they were also a team that got into the playoffs via the play in tournament. And they've come into the season uh, having to find a way to make up for the losses of Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. And so uh, you miss out on Damian Lillard because everyone thought, that yeah. that's where he was going to end up. And then you, on the back end of it, you you maybe should have been able to come away with the Drew Holiday. You didn't uh, do that either. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that this is a team that um, you're going to respect when you come up against them. But I, will, I won't be surprised if they miss the playoffs this time around. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they're a real wild card for me at this point. And obviously, I agree with you. Who's looking the best right now is the Nuggets. I mean, they did have a bad loss last night uh, against the Timberwolves. But I think generally speaking, like when you win a championship and then you come into the next season acting like you have something to prove, that's a really great sign. Like, I think that's I think 
all Nuggets fans should be super excited for this team. Um, they did have, like I said, they had their dud last night, but it was uh, November 1st, and I think the night after Halloween just isn't a good night for some teams. <laughs> and uh, we'll get into that really shortly. But yeah, I think the Nuggets are looking amazing and uh, super, super excited for them. Shout out the NBA for disrespecting them once again. Opening night, you know, putting out the whole banner of like, you had Steph Curry on there and LeBron on there and not, you know, no Jokic, no Murray. Like you've got mm -hmm. the champs <laughs> and, yeah. and you make no mention of them on the poster. Okay. Yep. Which I guess adds to their whole, like, we have something to prove attitude, you know, which exactly. I, actually, I actually really like. So yeah. That's very cool. Um, okay, let's move on to our Raptors homer moment here. Uh, we had a really big win against the Bucks after a really terrible loss against the Trailblazers. I was on the Confederacy of Dunks podcast. After that loss to the Trailblazers, my opinions might have been a little more harsh than they should be uh, overall. But Vivek, like, what, like, what do you make of the adjustments that they made to turn this around? I think uh, the biggest thing that we probably saw change over was, and, and this is what they talked about at practice, was, is, hey, we can't just be passing the ball for the sake of passing the ball. And uh, the thing that Darko has been harping on is getting into the paint, paint touches and then kicking the ball out, you know, creating real penetration. And I think that's what we saw against the Bucks. And, uh, you know, the, the ball movement wasn't for the sake of ball movement. And there was a lot of purpose to the drives. There was a, a lot of purpose to the screen setting. There's a lot of purpose to the cuts to the basket. And so I think that is what helped open things up. And then obviously the three point shot falling was a huge factor, right? We don't expect this team uh, to be a good three-point shooting team. And we've seen so far through five games incredible highs and just terrible, mm -hmm. terrible lows. Mm -hmm. And this was one of those nights where they couldn't miss a thing. And I think the crazy part is uh, Grady and Gary Trent were the worst shooters on this night. Like they were a combined one for 13. And the right. rest of the team was 14 for 25. Like you really wouldn't like that is as Halloween, a shooting night as you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I don't expect that to repeat too many more times over the course of the season. But I think the overall sort of purpose with which they played, which was in stark contrast to the Bucks, uh, I, I think that was a big difference. Yeah, because I mean, like, I don't know if people went out on Tuesday night or not. I was hungover. So the second I saw the score, I was like, oh, the Bucks must also be hungover. <laughs> I kind of tweeted, like, where did they party last night? You know, because people allegedly yep. like to come to Toronto and have fun here. So I kind of assume that's what last night with the Bucks was really about. Like, I think they just they saw the Portland game decided that we suck and that they didn't have to show up for us or try very hard. And honestly, like I was at that Portland game and I really feel like I, I want my money back. So I kind of, I kind of get it. Like I felt like a glorified G league team uh, to be honest when we were there, but I mean, I'm so glad that the Raptors turned things around. I mean, this is how you want to see them respond after a loss like that. And so, you know, even though the bucks didn't really show up, I would still consider it a great win um you mentioned uh gary trent jr 
um, who's been struggling really to start this season. Like I, I didn't put this in our docket, but do you have any thoughts on Gary Trent Jr.? Yeah, I am disappointed in the sense that over the course of his career so far, he's done very well as a starter, and then he struggled uh, when he's come off the bench. And I thought this would be the year where, you know, especially when he's talking about how much Darko has communicated with him, that he'd be more open to it and he'd have a better start to the season and he'd be okay with coming off the bench. That has not been the case. And I think uh, he's really struggling. Obviously, he had the one opportunity to start when OG was out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think on the whole, he hasn't really uh, taken to the role. And, um, you know, the whole... 0.5 0.5 decision making is maybe not his strongest suit uh on a, unless it's to shoot the ball right <laughs> right and so i think uh that's where he, he's gonna have to you know make some adjustments and then defensively obviously for the for the most part he's a liability and so when those things aren't adding up it's like okay you know why not just give uh grady dick an opportunity and just you know, get his reps up and improve him. And then obviously we saw Otto Porter Jr. get into the game uh, and have some good minutes. So uh, the good thing for Gary is that Darko does seem like the type of coach who's going to give you some run and give you an opportunity to figure things out. We've seen that with Malachi Flynn, for example. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. obviously he he's had some big struggles, but he's been able to play through it. And he had um, a good performance against Milwaukee. And so... Uh, yeah, I, I really hope he can figure things out off the bench because, uh, as he said before this season, with regards to the starting role, uh, the writing's on the wall. And so he's not going to start for this team. It is going to be Dennis Schroeder and OG and Pascal and Scotty and Yak, and he's just going to have to embrace it. Right. And I don't, you know, it's not like his playing level has justified taking any of those players out of the starting lineup. So you know, it it makes sense that you have to kind of like play for your role in a sense. And like, it has been really great that Darko has been giving everybody more of an opportunity. I mean, obviously that was a huge thing that was lacking last season. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I'm the only one on planet earth that has been mildly critical of Grady Dick. Um, (laughs) I think everybody just loves him so much that nobody wants to critique him, but I felt like, and I was more criticizing this during the Portland game where I just felt like he was hanging around the perimeter too much. He wasn't really like cutting and doing his best to get open. Um, And I feel like he's not really stretching out the defense because his shot isn't considered enough of a threat to really stretch that out. So I don't know what your observations are. I know, I know everybody's like, Oh, he's been great. I'm really happy with him. He's also a rookie and he's only played like five games. So again, like I'm not suggesting like my expectations of him should be so high. Um, but what is your stance on Grady Dix in his first few games? I I think within the context of being a rookie, he's had a good start. Right. I think that, uh, you, you know, you're bound to see the mistakes, some of which you've already pointed out. I think you're bound to, uh, you know, kind of take on whatever is going on on the court and that kind of gets contagious. So we talked about the lack of purposeful ball movement and player movement in the Portland game. I think you kind of get sucked into that when the rest of your team is doing the same thing. And right. Again, you know, this Milwaukee game, everyone comes out shooting the ball, is feeling good. You come in and it's like, okay, I got to keep it up. And, you know, there's kind of a standard to maintain and that pushes you. And so 
Uh, I think we've seen some of that, but um, I think there's been enough sort of uh, on ball drives to the basket um, and opportunities where he has cut, uh, has got in on the glass a little bit, uh, has tried to commit defensively. We saw him pick up that charge on Giannis Mm -hmm. where I'm saying, hey, this is kind of what I want to see from a guy who's going to get, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a night. And so uh, I think he'll continue to progress as the season goes. I think, you know, for those who watch summer league, like you kind of saw progression there too, where he'd have a bad first half and then kind of figure out what was going on and then look better in the second half. And mm-hmm. I won't be surprised if the season plays out that way where, you know, he, He's trying to do the right things, but sometimes they don't work out in the first half of the season. And then there's like a continued progression um, in in the second half of the season. Um, Yeah, I love everything that you're saying about um, not just ball movement, but intention. I think that's been a huge part of this year so far, because I wanted to ask you about like the Raptors culture this season and what you feel has changed. Like we know they are passing the ball more. They're kind of like running through more possessions and like, you know, there's been stuff written about like dribble handoffs and split actions that the Raptors are doing more uh, this year and stuff, you know, to really just trying to get away from the whole selfish thing that Masai was saying at the end of last season. Right. But I think the intention part is a big part of that. Do you feel like that's been the biggest difference this year with the Raptors, like culturally overall? Yeah, 100%, like 35 assists against the Bucks, right? And so I think um, within that, there is going to be growing pains and there is going to be some of what's still stuck over from last season that has to still be washed away. And so it's mm-hmm. not going to be 100% natural to them. And so there is going to be a transition period, and I think they'll progressively get better at it as the season goes along. We saw the really slow start to the season for Pascal, and now you know this Bucks game was really great to see uh, from that standpoint. And then I also think you know there's going to be times where you got to look at last season and say, okay, or even the last two seasons and say not everything Nick Nurse did was bad. <laughs> you right. know, like I, I think there are going to be times to double team and trap and be really aggressive. There are going to be times where you're going to look at Pascal and say, hey, you are our best chance to get us a basket right now. <laughs> Please go do your thing. You know, and I think uh, you can still mix in some of that. Um, but I fully understand that uh, for now, the emphasis has to be on kind of washing away everything from before and having this be the baseline thoughts that run through every player. And then you kind of trickle in a, a little bit uh, of what you want to add on top of that. Right. And do you feel like um, this new system that Darko's implementing, do you feel like that is in part why maybe Pascal has struggled to start the season? Yeah, no question. I mean, we're, we're seeing the ball in Scotty's hands a lot more, right? And mm-hmm. then also in Dennis Schroeder's hands. And so uh, I think they're looking for Pascal to score in different ways uh, than he did last season and obviously be a, a lot quicker uh, with his decision making. I think last season, um, and I, I don't think it was selfish uh, by any means, I think that's just how they wanted to play. Where it's like, hey, we're gonna put the ball in the hands of our best player, and we're just gonna play off of him. And 
trust his decision making and, and that's how they operate and now obviously it's a very different look i think you know pascal the three-point shooter is going to be really tested this season because he's going to get those catch and shoot opportunities and when it looks like it did last night it's going to look absolutely amazing but then there's going to be the nights where as a team there was they shot 14 percent against portland it's gonna look uh, not so great <laughs> yeah and so yeah i think i think it's gonna be a learning season for pascal as well but at the same time talk about the writing being on the wall it's clear that this is transitioning to being scotty's team now and mm -hmm. i think pascal is just gonna have to accept the reality that he was given um three seasons four seasons as the guy and he didn't become the guy you know right and so you know you had a good run at it. it it didn't work out you can still be a very very good player yeah no i think that's an excellent point um do you feel like this effort that the raptors uh put out last night against the bucks do you feel like this effort is sustainable do you feel like they have raised the bar for themselves and that this is what we should expect from them night in and night out effort i think is always sustainable i, I think uh the question is will they shoot like that the results <laughs> exactly yeah and so uh have they raised the bar and set a new standard in terms of again that intent that purpose with which you know they get into the offense early there's uh, you know understanding of who's where on the court this is what darko talked about as well right it's it's just a fundamentally different uh, type of attack when you have Scotty on the left side of the floor versus the right side of the floor. Where is Yak? Where is Pascal? Where is OG? Understanding those things. And again, that's chemistry that has to build, but um, making decisions off of that in the right way and uh, having that intent that, hey, we're not just going to you know pass it side to side and then someone takes a three. We're going to dig into the paint and then kick it out and have defenders kind of helter-skelter and get good looks that way. And so I think they've kind of told on themselves that they can do that. Right. And so now the challenge is, hey, keep doing that. And then you can kind of live with having bad shooting nights because that, you know, you kind of just expect from a team that doesn't have that many three-point shooters. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's absolutely the best way to say that. They told on themselves. Absolutely, they did. Um, okay, let's move on to our Raptors hottie highlight of the week. And, you know, this was an interesting week because we had two former Raptors coaches come visit this week. We had Nick Nurse uh, on Friday, and then we had Adrian Griffin last night. And uh, different reactions uh to them returning uh scotty barnes after nick nurse uh came back was like uh i don't we didn't really get the chance to say hi i don't really know blah 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 right and then there's like a clip of like adrian griffin being back and it's like all hugs and blah 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 and i was just like oh my god this is so funny maybe i don't know if we could do a side by side of those two responses very very <laughs> different responses yeah. that i think were very funny and very telling yeah i i think you know if there's one thing that nick nurse needs to reflect on um as far as his you know success in the nba future success in the nba is concerned and longevity and all of that it's 
yeah, on the one side, you look at the teams he's coached and the fact that he's won pretty much at every level and every team that he's been at. On the other side, you look at, it's like, hey, why does this guy not last with a team for more than like three years? <laughs> right, right. And so I think that's something uh, that you look at, um, at least as a head coach, right? Because obviously he was a, an assistant with the Raptors for a long time. In total, he was with this organization for a decade and so um as a head coach is there something that you know when the chips are down does he maybe you know uh get a little too crazy um and push uh, the players a little too hard that kind of you know makes them want to push back or just you know completely disconnect right right which is what we saw and uh you know i think it's a player driven league and you know, this isn't, this isn't college. So it isn't about the coach's ego. And I think he's kind of more that style of coach where it is kind of about his ego. So um, yeah, we did see that unfold and we see it unfold now in terms of like their relationships. I do think it's funny though, that even like Nick nurse was like, Oh no, no difference, whatever. I'm really happy where I am. Blah, blah, blah. No statement about like, hey, like my time in Toronto was really great, blah, blah, blah. I think it still stings. Oh, 100%. I think it still stings. I actually think even on Scotty's side, it still stings because they were both doing this like, I'm o- I'm over my ex. Like, I'm over my ex. <laughs> I don't need to see them. I don't need to talk to them. I don't even l- need to look at them. I don't need to acknowledge them. You know, and that's kind of how you know there are residual resentments. And yeah. uh, I think that that is still very, very true. But it was just kind of funny to see it unfold the way it did. Yeah, and it's a shame, right? Like mm-hmm. for someone who won a championship here, you'd like to think that it doesn't need to feel that way, right? Like when Casey got fired as the number one seed, like you can understand and having one coach of the year, you can understand the resentment. You can understand uh, the frustration, uh, especially when, you know, they trade for Kawhi. And I'm sure Dwayne is probably like, I would have loved to coach that guy and have him the last few years, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. so you can, so for Nick to have as an amazing an, an opportunity as he was given, um, and you know, for that to be Masai's first real shot at bringing someone that he wanted, cause obviously he inherited Dwayne Casey mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and to still go with Nick. Um, it's a shame to see, things uh be as sour as they seem right right because you know he could have like come into town and been like you know like i said you know hey you know toronto was great really enjoyed it here while it lasted you know really enjoying my new situation i think there was just a way to give a similar sentiment a more positive spin like you don't think Demar had bitter, bitter feelings when he came yeah. back for his first game? He still had nothing but love and and expressed that. Even if he did have maybe a bit of frustration with Masai that first game back, which by all accounts it seems like that's been cleared up now. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he was still like, "I love this city. This was home for me." All of that, right? The like, fans, not blah, blah, even, blah. yeah. You know, even you you say something, "Hey, this will always be the place that I want a championship." I always have great memories here, right? You know, like, <laughs> you know, um, some something small like that. 
you know, you look back at that press conference. He said he said more nice things about Canada basketball than he did about the Raptors. Right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know, like, okay, as a as a media member, Vivek, you know, he kind of had that weird moment last spring where he was like talking about Philly and you know, reflecting on his time in Toronto prematurely. And then I in think Philly. that was in Philly, in Philly. And then people tried to ask him about it. And then he kind of resented, um, you know, being asked follow up questions about that moment. Do you feel like that hurt his relationship with Toronto media? Can you answer uh, that question? I think, I think, there were several ways he answered questions that hurt his relationship with Toronto media. Yes. Um, this was probably the final nail in the coffin in the sense that, again, you, you said those remarks in Philadelphia mm -hmm. where there really wasn't much Toronto media. The question was asked by uh, Tim Bonteps of ESPN wasn't even asked by a Toronto media member. So naturally, you would think that when you come back to Toronto and there's more of a Toronto media presence, that someone is going to ask you about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so to push back the way he did and to make it seem like, oh my God, I got to keep answering this when it was literally the first question that someone in the Toronto media uh, had asked about right. something that he brought up on his own was ridiculous yeah yeah it was it was and i think that was probably the final nail in his coffin in toronto let alone his relationship with toronto media i just didn't know if like when he came back now right all these months later and like he's kind of being a little tense about you know not really reflecting on toronto like do you think that just has something to do with like him being in toronto or do you think he's just like oh i don't want to face these this group of media people again, or maybe it's not that intense for him. Yeah, I don't think it's that intense for him, but I, I do think he made it weirdly intense about being weird about the situation. Right. Like even when uh, they kind of cut to him after the, like during the tribute video, he was mm -hmm. kind of trying to be all like, oh, I'm just looking at, you know, we'll play to run this and that. And then, oh, oh, they're clapping for me. Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that was happening. Like, <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think he was just like very weird about the situation. And um, I think uh, that, you know, you'd like to think that you'd be on better terms uh, with someone that was part of the championship core. Because you think about some of the returns the players have made, right? Like the first yeah. time yeah we hated that Kawhi didn't come back but how about that ovation when that that first came back you yeah know? surge the first time he came back you know for all the hate that fred got last season i guarantee you he's going to get a nice ovation yes I when agree. he plays his first game here and and so uh he obviously nick obviously got a, a nice ovation and you know eventually he gave a nice wave and everything but um I don't think I just don't think he needs to be this weird about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's on him. I agree. Um I appreciate you sharing those thoughts. 
<laughs> I, I expanded on that conversation in ways that, again, was not in the docket. But uh, Vivek, thank you so much for joining me again. Always love having you on the show. Uh, remind us again about your Cricket Substack and uh, <laughs> everything else you're doing uh, Raptors related and where people can find you on the Internet. No, first off, thank you so much for having me, Catherine. You do a great job with this pod, so I always love coming on. And uh, yeah, you can, if you're a cricket fan, you can check out Play in the V. That's my Substack, and um, everything's linked uh, on my Twitter. I also have a Twitter account called uh, at Play in the V, so you can uh, get in on that. Uh, and then basketball wise, I'm going to be doing like general NBA stuff uh, most of the time at Sportsnet, and then Raptor specific stuff at Yahoo. Perfect. Uh, thank you again. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Bye.